My name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Reform Church. Welcome to you all on this beautiful August day. Um, welcome to those of you that are tuning in online. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to get to worship together. Blessings and God's encouragement to you. Um, today we find ourselves very, very quickly coming to the end of Acts. Uh, yes, uh, last Sunday, Pastor Trent was talking, um, teaching, preaching out of Acts 26. And uh, the thing, as I was listening to his message, the thing that jumped out at me, the thing that he was really pressing on is, uh, is do we believe that we are the scripture of God that is beyond our Bibles? Will we let God tell his story through us. And Paul was telling us his story at the, in, in Acts 26. He wanted us to know the full account of what he did and his experiences, how, how he was lost uh, before he knew Jesus Christ, uh, from his own lips telling us the chaos that he lived in his world before Jesus, how he would uh, uh, pursue frenetically um, in anything that would oppose the way and the people of the way. He, he would put people in jail. He would vote for their death. He would run around from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, church to church, to try and make people fail in following Jesus. And if they couldn't fail, if you couldn't get them to fail, then he would just end them. By his own testimony, he confesses. He's telling this story, this chaotic story of his life, he confesses to being obsessed, ruled by a corrupted passion against the name of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus confronts him with, with all of his Jesusness. Um, and when I say that, I mean like all of his power and his grace and his glory and his truth, right? And he comes in and he grabs hold of Paul and like a light switch, Paul's story and his life, his reality changes. Suddenly, he becomes a man of peace. He becomes a man of, of, of stability and safety. Even, even as people confront him and stone him and flog him, he is a man of peace. Even as he passionately proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, standing before rulers and, and, and great people of power or, or walking amongst anybody and everybody, the average Joe uh, six-pack in the, in, in the streets saying, I know something. I know someone. Do you want to know him too? Even in the midst of all of it, even in the midst of passion, still a man of peace. A man with calm all over him. Now, we get into Acts 27 and we find Paul in the next stage of his journey. He's been, he's been in jail now for a long time and people have been pushing on him and questioning him and and he's appealed to Caesar, so he's going to have to end up in Rome. And Acts 27 opens with him beginning that part of the journey, getting on a boat with a whole bunch of other prisoners, heading off to Rome. They're going to be traveling at a very difficult time of year. This is the time of year, as, uh, as the chapter unfolds, where the Mediterranean, uh, weather-wise, becomes almost impassable. Um, we don't know why. I mean, they must have had to really get there because they take off in this very difficult time. And uh, we know then because the story tells us this, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be messy. Um, and as I read this account, as I read into Acts 27, I want you to be paying attention to that. I want you to be paying attention to the chaos side of things. I want you to be paying attention to all the things that are happening around Paul as Paul stands as a man of peace. 
These last few chapters of Acts do a really good job of drawing kind of a, a distinction between chaos and peace. The difference that happens when somebody has an understanding and a relationship with Jesus Christ and all the things that can happen around them. Listen for those differences. Listen to the chaos of the ship and the other people and the weather, frenetic, chaotic, anxious, fragile. And there's Paul, secure and solid, wise and discerning. The scripture we're going to be reading through is a fairly lengthy piece of scripture. So I encourage you to hang with me as the story unfolds. Um, I just told you, as I summarized the very beginning of Acts 27, we're going to jump in at verse 13. So you're welcome to open your Bibles. It's about that far in Acts chapter 27. Hear this God's word. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. And so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster, not a Nor'easter, the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. And so we gave way to it and were driven along. And as we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. And then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. And because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their very own hands. The ability to feed themselves, gone. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood before the men and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because Not one of you will be lost. Only the ship is going to be destroyed. Because last night the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. Fearing that we would... uh, No, no, no. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. 
So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. Sounds like a lot like communion to me. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast, stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first to get to land, and the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land safely. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as a guy who appreciates a good story, I like to tell a good story. I love how this story unfolds. I love the dynamic of, of chaos and, and discomfort that's happening over here. And at the same time, over here, there's this wonderful peace. There's this calm assurance. There's somebody with the answers. And, and oftentimes in storytelling, this is done so that we as readers, as people experiencing this, we will, we will kind of recoil a little bit from the chaos. and Like, ah, oh, I don't like that. And, and we'll want to hang out over here in the safe land. And we want the characters to, to be over there with them too. We, we want them to know what Paul is offering them. We want people to know the good news that, that, that's being uh, prepared for them and then to step away from that chaos. It's a beautiful storytelling technique to, to put people toward the things that matter, to the beautiful parts of the story. And we know this. We know that Paul is a beautiful part of the story. He tells us as much when he says to us in this moment, uh, it's because of who I serve. It's because of who stands with me. The God that I worship has said to me by an angel, do not be afraid. I've got a plan. I've got a plan and, and the lives of everybody traveling with you are going to be saved. My plan will be fulfilled. This is what makes Paul safe in this moment. It's a beautiful thing to be safe. And we, we, we can think that about Paul. We don't have a problem thinking that about Paul. I mean, he's, well, he's Paul. <laughs> I mean, he's Bible Paul, right? I mean, he's a safe guy. He's the one who's got it figured out. I mean, he, he had a rocky start, but, but then he got it figured out. He knows who Jesus is. He's kind of standing in the light, the light of Jesus, like shone on him, blinded him for a minute. And then, uh, then he gets his uh, sight healed, and, and now he's on mission. He's on point. He's safe. He's secure. He's solid. We think this of other Bible characters. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise us if these things were being said about Peter and John and James and, and Timothy and Barnabas. Yes, they're solid. They're safe. All these wonderful people in the Bible, 
God using them to proclaim his gospel, to proclaim his glory. Yes, absolutely. These are the safe ones. Chaos, all that around. These are the, these are the ones you want to go to. They get to be God's presence in the midst of the chaos of life. They get to be God's presence. Eh? Two, word, two, two different words there. Presence with presence gifts. That's pretty good. That's complicated storytelling there. <sighs> All right, I appreciated it. I wonder how often we think of ourselves as a people of peace and stability and calm in the midst of chaos and the storms of life. How often do we think of ourselves in that capacity that others might be saved through the Jesus in us? Could, could you be a character in the Bible? Like, could there be like a Jill in the Bible? I think that's a little harder for us to imagine. I think we struggle to try and, and grasp that concept that, that, that the folks in the Bible are not actually all that different than we are. Um, I think we struggle with that because, because we know just how uh, not stable and calm we feel uh, when chaos is happening. And it doesn't even have to be big chaos. Sometimes it's little chaos. And peace eludes us. But I get to tell you, I get to remind you that you get to be a calm presence. You get to be calm and stable and safe when you choose what is true and noble, what is right and lovely, what is pure and admirable, if it's, if it's excellent, anything that's excellent and trustworthy. That those things in the midst of whatever's happening in life means that you, you get to be the presence of Christ through him, through you, to anyone and everyone around you when all of that is happening. Well, great, thank you. Thanks for telling us that. Sometimes, sometimes words are just words. So, um, to illustrate this reality, to let you know that this is real, that this can happen, I want to tell you a couple of stories Moments when I've gotten to see somebody exhibit what we're talking about. And, and here's the beauty of it, right? It's the, the things that I'm going to be talking about, these are not like huge, life-changing, dramatic, you know, you know, car accident kind of moments or, 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 or terrible diagnoses kind of moments. These are just the simple, everyday, day-to-day -day life moments that we all face, every single one of us. In fact, you'll hear these stories and be like, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened to me. It's just a reminder in the normal day-to-day -day life, the non-spectacular realities, we can be the same as these characters from the Bible. The first story I want to tell you happened just this past Friday. Um, so uh, this past week, uh, Andrew Moore and Ellen, his wife, and myself were all in New York City to, uh, to have him assessed for church planting, to find out whether or not his vision and his uh, call uh, lines up with what it means to plant a church. So we're hanging out there in, in Brooklyn, and on Friday we were flying home. We're sitting in LaGuardia Airport. Uh, we're sitting at our gate, and it's one of those gate areas at the end of a concourse where you've got like six gates like kind of all around you, and we're, we're just hanging out. And 
Uh, one of the gates was heading off to Miami, um, and it was boarding well before ours, and just looking at it, watching this whole thing unfold, you know, watching people, like, when they get up and get into line, you got the early line people, you got the late line people, and, and they start boarding the flight, and everybody starts, you know, they're getting on, and then it's about five minutes, three minutes before it's time to shut the doors, and they start making announcements. Like, I'm not just like, the doors will be closing pretty soon. It's like... Um, uh, hey, Betty so-and-so, like your flight's going to be taken off in three minutes. You better get over here. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> Betty must be like really important. So I'm watching, I'm like, where's Betty? <laughs> Just waiting and seeing if somebody's going to be there. And, and at, a, at a certain like two minutes in, these, the, a couple of gals kind of get up and, and they're the standby ladies, right? And they're like, oh, oh we might get on the fly. <laughs> You know, they're hoping Betty doesn't show, and everybody's like, and like one minute till, it's like, yo, Betty, Betty, the flight's like leaving, get over here, or your seat's gone. And then, you know, and the time comes, and standby, uh, the standby young ladies, they get the, their seat, they go on, and the door shuts. And wouldn't you know it, like one minute later, guess who's flying into the gate? Ah! Like phone, phone in hand, I'm sure that's her boarding pass. Ah! You get there, oh, did I make it? Like, I'm, I'm far enough away, I can't hear this, but you've seen this enough times. You know what's being said. Did I make it? And the ticket agent's like, no, I'm sorry, you didn't make it. And like, yeah, but the plane, it's like right there. It's like actually literally right there. I know, but ma'am, we shut the doors. And we gave your seat away. Oh. Now, what happens? What are Betty's options? Betty can do that thing where she like, just goes in, right? You've seen that, right? I just can't believe you do this. I paid good money and this and this and the reservation. And, right? Or there's the, you know, and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. I mean, this, maybe this is what the Bible people were talking about, like this airport realities when they were writing these things. Betty's got some options. This is what Betty did. And then she asks something, she's like, da, 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 da. and the ticket lady goes, da, 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 and picks up a phone, da, da. and Betty's like, da, 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 da. I, don't, I can't hear him, I don't know what's going And then she's like, da, 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 da. and she turns and walks away, and she starts dialing her phone, and she starts making a call, and she moves on. Like she chose, in that moment, chose. Whew. I'm going to handle this. I'm going to be a, people, a person of peace. I'm going to stay calm. Nothing I can do about it. I'm just. I'm going to be calm. Now, I don't know if Betty, I don't know if her name was Betty or not. I have no clue. Seemed like a Betty. I saw her. That's Betty. I don't know if she was a Christian or not. But she chose. She chose something good in that moment. She didn't berate someone. She didn't put somebody down. She didn't read them the riot act. She didn't play guilt trip. She handled it. Everyday kind of event, right? Something similar happened uh, to us when we were coming back uh, from Iowa about two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. we, uh, we were in Iowa for a long weekend to celebrate 50th anniversary of Laura's parents. Uh, it was a great weekend, but as you can uh, figure, when you're putting a bunch of families together in a small little house, 
things can be a little complicated. There's, there's, she's one of three kids, so there's four different families there. And you're trying to navigate how to share this moment and celebrate well, but you've got families with different needs. One of the families had a little three-year-old girl. Another family had a boy and a girl, you know, eight and 10 years, 10 or 12 years old. And then we've got our boys who are like 18 and 19 who are like, oh, why are we here? And so how do you find events that everybody can be a part of? And there's a lot of food and, and you navigate it. And it was great. We had a great time. They're a beautiful people. I love them so much. And then we got, it was done. It was time to come home. Seven hours, hit the road, traveling from Cedar Falls, Iowa to Hamilton, Michigan. And we take off and we're cruising along. And as we're cruising along on the interstate, trucking along, got the cruise set, you know, just, not, just kind of minding my own business. And, and it's time to pass somebody who's going a little bit too slow. And um, so I'm getting over there and I get right into their blind spot. And they decide in that moment that they need to move over. I was like, whoa, and swerve over and hit the brakes and ha ha, just a little one. Not one of those, but just ha ha, hey, I'm here. And adrenaline, right? Everything's okay. <laughs> okay, we're going to handle this. Laura's like, oh my goodness. The boy's in the back like, did something happen? <laughs> okay, everybody's fine, so... You chalk this up to, you know, interesting experience. Thank you, Jesus, for protecting us. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Continue to truck along. Get on the Interstate 80, probably in Illinois at this point. And I, I'm, a, I'm a cruise guy. I set the cruise, always like four mile an hour above the speed limit. Just four. Just four. Got enough tickets. I'm done with that. Coming up to a semi. He's going a little slower than I am, so... Look, I'm checking my blind spot. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody for a while. All right. Move over. The cruise continues to move us along. I mean, we're passing him. We're not going really fast past him, but we're passing him. And about the time we get up to where the, the trailer and the cab are connected, suddenly there is this SUV right on my rear end. Right there. I'm like, whoa, where'd you come from? Well, that's all right. In just a couple of moments, I'll be past this truck. I'll get out of your way. And you can move on. And then he flashed his brights at me. I know. I'm like, excuse me. And you're, it's a Buick SUV. I'm driving a LeSabre. I thought we were Buick buddies. Well, who does he think he is? I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to be out of his way in just a minute. Like, this is so important. He must be somebody really important or something. And my mind just like, whoo, spinning up. And then, and then I think, maybe I should slow down. <laughs> but not too slow. Just the same speed as the truck next to me. <laughs> and see how long I can just stay there. And I look over at my wife, and she's like blissfully unaware of all of this. I say, honey, I have to tell you something. Ooh, this sounds serious. Yeah. I'm really wanting to be a jerk right now. She goes, okay. Tell me about that. And I told her. She goes, okay. So what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to pass this truck. 
and let my Buick buddy pass. Because I don't know him. I have no idea. He's probably the nicest guy in the world. He's just in a hurry for some reason. I don't know. But it was a fight in that moment to stay stable and noble and pure and lovely and admirable. (laughs) I don't always win that battle. I did that day. And I realized that that so often chaos is this series of small events that whittle away at our resolve to remain calm. And he doesn't know me. He wouldn't have known me. He wouldn't have known if I was a believer in Jesus Christ. But oftentimes, the examples, these things that happen in life happen when other people are right there watching. And I had to fight in that moment to fight the temptation to react poorly. I had to choose to exercise that muscle of calm in the moment of feeling really jerky. Um, And it is a muscle you have to exercise. It's a muscle that needs exercising to remain calm. God gives us amazing opportunities, little tiny opportunities all the time to exercise this muscle to be calm because eventually, always, inevitably, there will be a moment when it's a big moment and somebody's watching and they know you love Jesus And they want to see if it's true and how you act. And you might be the only example of Jesus Christ they will see that year. We have in us, because of the Spirit, because of our faith, the ability, the responsibility to offer salvation everywhere we go. Did you know you, through Jesus Christ in you, can save people? This is the story of this moment with Paul and these folks in this ship That's what this is about. It's part of what this is about. He, in this moment, his faith, his life determines the life or death fate of other people in a boat. They lived because of to whom Paul belonged. This is not an uncommon story in our Bibles. As people lose hope, Paul's faith in the promise of Jesus Christ, his exercise of that muscle of being calm in the storm gets to be their salvation. It happens other times. It's just a few of them, right? There's a moment in 1 Peter where 1 Peter tells us, uh, add, you know, encourages women of faith to be women of faith, even in their marriages, which might be difficult because they, in their marriage, might save their husband. There's a story of a kid who walks into a battlefield and says, you know what, I know the rest of you are scared out of your gourds, but I'm going to take this this rock and this sling, and I believe my faith will save you. And a giant falls. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 25, I encourage you to read it. There's a wonderful woman by the name of Abigail whose peace and calm saves her husband and a whole bunch of other people when he is an... Dingleberry. There's power in being a people of peace. 
Who in your life has access to Christ because of his peace and calm in you? We think we're not Bible characters, but we are. Because we are living Bibles in our world today. We are the body of Jesus Christ right now. And in the calm of our faith, the choice to exercise that muscle, to represent Jesus Christ, even in the most seemingly insignificant moments, can mean that someone else can find salvation for the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of God our Father. May we choose that peace. Let's pray. Father God, um, you are amazing and good and faithful and we trust you. We trust you to challenge us and to give us these opportunities to to speak peace and to speak love and to speak honor, um, to be calm in the midst of the chaos so that when people see the, the, the surrender we have to you, the faith we have in you, that they might find that faith for themselves. It, it seems so arrogant to say that we can bring salvation for somebody and, and with all the, the, the qualifiers, right? But it's Jesus in us, it's the Holy Spirit in us, absolutely, absolutely, but it's still us. We are the body of Christ. We are the presence that you have given this world. And as he lives through us, as we surrender to you, others may find you. Thank you for entrusting us with, with this and help us in these tiny moments of chaos and the big moments of chaos come to take a deep breath and to choose peace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May the abundant love of God dwell in you richly and give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. So that you can be from this moment and every moment of your life an outstanding witness to the grace and love of Jesus Christ to anybody and everybody around you. And all of God's people said, amen. Go in peace.